Once upon a time, I was a little girl who loved the game of soccer so much that when I laced up my cleats, pulled up my socks over my shin guards, walked out onto that field of freshly mowed grass, I can still smell it, (laughs) nothing else existed. When it was a really cool feeling to be so entrenched in a sport that my focus was that narrow and that that disciplined. I mean, it was just a really cool time. Over the years of my soccer career, my attention did start to get split towards the end when I was a teenage girl, suddenly became aware of how I looked, and I really wanted to eat healthier. And so I didn't know what healthier meant. I didn't know what eating healthier foods exactly meant other than fruits and vegetables. So I did what most people do, which is turn to what we see on TV. Um, At that time, it was really commercials and magazines. I remember at the time there was a cereal that was real popular, and it said, replace two meals a day with this cereal, and you'll lose 10 pounds in a week or two weeks. So I did that as a teenage girl, as a growing teenage soccer player. And what I didn't know at the time is I was putting myself at risk. Because I was expending so much energy during my activity and not giving my body the fuel it needed, even though my intentions were good. My intentions were just to be healthier. I just didn't have access to the the appropriate nutrition information to get me there. So ladies, today I have an awesome interview with a clinician here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Her name is Dr. Rebecca Dutton. She is an amazing sports medicine doctor and we work together treating something called relative energy deficiency in sport. And that's just a fancy word for what I experienced in high school. It's not eating enough relative to the sport you're participating in. So before we get started today, um, I am talking about sports and athletes, and Dr. Dutton and I work with a lot of athletes. Our work together is at the collegiate level. So in this interview, you'll hear us talking about a lot of collegiate athletes. However, Dr. Stacey Sims, one of my favorite clinicians, she says this quote, if you exercise on purpose, you are an athlete. And I 100% agree with that. So whether you are a high school athlete, whether you are a college athlete, whether you are my kind of athlete, which means I just do the best I can to work out when I can. (laughs) If you intentionally set time outside of your day to exercise, consider yourself an athlete. And this interview is absolutely applicable to you. And quite honestly, I think really important for you to hear today. We're going to talk about what relative energy deficiency syndrome is, why it is so important to avoid it. And guys, it is estimated that up to 43% of women fall in this category, and it's usually unintentional. So we're going to be talking about how to know if you have it, what to do if you think you might be displaying some of these symptoms, and how to ensure that you're eating enough for whatever activity you decide to engage in, whether it's walking, rock climbing, biking, I mean, whatever it is, it's super important that you are fueling your body adequately to support not only the activity you're engaging in, but the other 22 or 23 hours of the day. So super excited for this interview. Um, Before we dive in, I want to let you know that I am so excited. This episode is being brought to you by Ride Concepts. Ladies, Ride Concepts is a company that is more than just footwear and apparel for athletes. It is a lifestyle. The first time I got my hands on a pair of RC shoes, I didn't know whether I wanted to hop on my bike or take them to the brewery. These shoes are functional and my inner girly girl is showing. They are super cute. 
Bride Concept prides themselves on being a company that is on a mission to build the most comfortable, durable, and reliable mountain bike footwear on the planet. They are rider designed and rider owned. Ladies, I have a pair of these on right now, and I can honestly say they provide comfort I didn't know biking shoes could provide. Ride Concepts has graciously offered to give away a pair of their Livewire shoes. These shoes are specifically designed to the shape of a woman's foot and style. Did I mention these shoes are really cute? <laughs> Check out my Instagram this week at JessBrownRD to see how you can enter to win your free pair, guys, free pair of Livewire Ride Concept kicks. All right, without further ado, let's dive into the show today. Lots of good stuff for you guys. Here we go. What's up, friends? Welcome to the Fuel Her Awesome podcast. It's time to finally break up with dieting and choose to live boldly and unapologetically in that bodacious body of yours. If you've had enough of your inner awesome being eclipsed by body hate and you're drowning in that sea of nutrition info out there, girl, I made this podcast for you. Become the healthiest and most energized version of yourself through confidence, food freedom, faith, and body empowerment from science-backed nutrition and energizing foods with a little wiggle room. Because who doesn't want a side of donuts and a little wine does the body good? (laughs) I'm Jess, a body bully warrior, registered dietitian, and food freedom guru. I believe that when we stop letting culture define health, beauty, and what we should and shouldn't eat, we can finally live free in our own bodies. Are you ready to channel your inner awesome at a whole nother level? Grab a cup of coffee or lace up those running shoes and let's dive in to today's show. Okay, Becca, I'm so excited to be here today. Um, We have so many cool things to talk about, but before we dive in, tell me a little bit about your background and just the work you do with athletes. Great. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here as well. Thank you for having me. Uh, So I am a physician specializing in sports medicine. I basically manage all aspects of sports medicine that are non-surgical. So we do musculoskeletal care. We do um, all kinds of other things related to medical care of the athlete. That's awesome. That's a big job. (laughs) It's not not a small job at all. Um, Okay, so I know we want to talk in specifically about like how the role of nutrition and like what you do overlaps. But again, before we dive in, I have this question that I love to ask people when they come on. And that is, what is your inner awesome? Yeah, it's a good question. (laughs) And I don't know if I'm sure of my inner awesome. But uh, I would have to say my determination. Oh, I could totally see that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you went to medical school at Stanford, right? I went to medical school at UCSF and residency at Stanford. Yeah, you have yeah. to be determined to be able to do those <laughs> kinds of things. That's amazing. Well, okay, so today we want to talk about REDS, um, a relative energy deficiency in sport. And this is something that I think like is really normal discussion in our world. But how would you explain it to a patient walking in the door? What is REDS and why does it matter to them? Yeah, it's a great question. So the way that I think about REDS, uh, as you alluded to, stands for relative energy deficiency in sport. And really what this means is that there is some sort of an energy imbalance in the athlete. And the way that I tend to think of this is that the nutrition or diet that a person is consuming, their energy that they're consuming is uh, not matching up with how much energy they're expending 
uh, with the sport or the activity that they participate in. And so you end up with this relative energy imbalance whereby more is going out than is coming in. Yes, that's a great way to put it. And so I know the athletes you work with are at the collegiate level, and that's a lot of the, the athletes we share. Um, but just for the sake of this podcast, I like to define an athlete as anyone that exercises on purpose. 100% agree. Yes. Absolutely. So even yeah. though we're seeing this in like the athletes at the university level, it's like anyone could fall under this reds category. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it has really important implications for overall health. So yes. this affects, you know, not just, uh, the you know overall energy state but it is important has important implications for uh, bone health and musculoskeletal health so when you have relative energy deficiency syndrome it can put you at higher risk for injury mm-hmm. which is obviously problematic if you're engaging in in sport on any kind of uh, regular basis but it also can have downstream effects to the hormonal systems the hematologic systems the gastrointestinal systems. This can have downstream effects on our psyche. Yes. So it has a lot of different potential kind of impacts right. on it's the various systems of our body. All because they're not eating enough, like relative to the sport they're engaging in. Correct. Whatever activity it yep. is, whether it's, you know, soccer or the treadmill. Yeah. <laughs> That's, it's big. Yeah. And I think you make an excellent point in that it seems anyway from the literature that the bigger issue tends to be when people are under eating or getting less than enough nutrition is more of a problem than overexertion. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm glad you said that. And I am also glad you specified that it's under eating because I think a a lot of times, at least when I'm working with people, they think if I don't have an eating disorder, I'm not at risk for under eating. And couldn't be farther from the truth. Yeah, it's like you have these well-intended um, athletes walking in and they're thinking they're doing the best they can, following whatever diet they're following, <laughs> whatever's the latest and greatest, you know, and then they're in that red, in that reds, they're in the red, in the reds. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. I like that. Um, and yeah, it's got that whole whole like domino effect so it's okay so you mentioned that in reds we've got bone health um, there's a psychological impact uh, it can affect our iron stores hormones is there anything else that it can impact if we're in that if we're in the red in reds yeah right so uh, I think I mentioned as well the gastrointestinal health is an important one but in addition to that you have endocrine health you have uh, your overall metabolic state Uh, it can suppress uh, your your metabolic state Uh, You've got glycogen stores. Talk to me a little bit about that one because that's something that women in particular don't, like when you say decreased metabolic state, that's like, nobody wants that. No. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right. So can you tell me a little bit more about what's happening there? So in essence, what's happening is the body is going to kind of slow down because it's not getting enough energy and it needs to respond in a way to try to preserve as much energy as possible. And so that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. It's just shutting down a lot of different systems, including the metabolic system, in order to try to conserve as much energy as possible. And do you think that, well, you mentioned it impacts hormones. So is that going to impact like hypo? Can it like kickstart hypothyroidism or is there any link there? Uh, absolutely. So it, over the long term, it can have effects on, on the thyroid and thyroid function. And then we know it can impact female hormones, like loss of periods. Mm-hmm. That's the one that we always see, right? Yep. Um, any other impacts on hormones? 
so certainly it can affect any hormonal system along kind of the hormonal axis. So this includes uh, growth hormones, so it can affect growth and development, uh, as well as uh, glycogen and, and glycogen stores. So that the growth and development piece, that's going to be super important for like teenage athletes. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, they're tricky, right? Because they've got, I think they more than, well, I think all women, but like they in particular have like the social media influence. Absolutely. You know, I get these teenagers coming in that say, oh, Jess, I, I only eat, you know, 1,400 calories because that's what I saw so-and-so on Instagram doing. And, you know, she needs like 2,800 calories. Right. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned decreased glycogen storage. Um, and I'm thinking of all athletes, like that sucks because then you're at a workout and you don't get to last very long in the workout. Sure. You're running on an empty tank. Sure. And, yeah, yeah. So this REDS is going to be something that impacts not only just like the immediate workout, but – the other 23 hours of the day, too, with hormone balance, gut health, all of the above. I mean, absolutely. And even just ability to concentrate, for example, in class or work. Yes. Yeah, the, the nutrition fog yeah. or the lack of nutrition fog. Um, okay, so let's say you are working with an athlete and you're telling them about REDS. How would an athlete that isn't working with you know they have REDS? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's not always immediately obvious, and I think this is one of the biggest challenges that we have mm -hmm. sometimes. Some of the more obvious uh, and, and frequently kind of end-stage signs of REDS would be obviously lower than expected body weight or mm -hmm. recent weight loss for reasons that you know weren't intentional. Um, but again, that oftentimes is reflecting a much later stage, and we really want to try to capture the athlete much earlier in the course. And so other things to look for, certainly in women, uh, can be menstrual cycles. That yeah. is a really um, useful sign of relative energy deficiency. When women start to lose their menstrual cycles, we really mm -hmm. kind of have concerns that maybe there's some energy imbalance happening. Um, as well, though, just looking at how training is going. Are you feeling fatigued yeah. more easily? Are you having trouble with your workouts? That can be another indicator that maybe there's a little bit of either overtraining or relative energy deficiency. Yeah, usually I think it's not quite as dramatic as as people think it is. Yeah. Like it can just be this low grade, low energy that they're feeling. And there's actually, there's some research that's looked at just bumping your calories like 360 can start putting you back in that, that positive place yeah. and some of that fatigue goes away. Oh, so yeah. it's not like, you know, we're talking about adding Arnold Schwarzenegger diet planning. Yeah, it's like it could just be a little bit. Um, okay, so you're saying if they're doing a workout and not, you know, getting real tired real fast, that would be a, a clear indicator of their period goes. Um, in your experience, what are some of the most dangerous consequences of low energy availability? Well, I definitely think some of those systematic or systemic downstream effects that we mentioned before, effects on the cardiovascular system, effects on GI health, you know, these are all long-term consequences that can affect a person for the rest of their life. Obviously, in the sports world, one of the things that we worry a lot about is the musculoskeletal system. Mm -hmm. And certainly, the effects on bone health can be very long-lasting. We know that women reach, well, women and men, excuse me, really reach peak bone mass by... 20s, maybe 30. Yeah. And that's about the max that you could get. So if you're chronically 
uh, energy deficient and you're not reaching sort of your peak bone health at a young age, this can have really long-term effects in terms of your bone health later in life and putting you at higher risk for fracture, higher mm-hmm. risk for injury. And so we, we worry a lot about that as well. And that's, again, tough because you don't feel it. Correct. So you can't feel your bone density getting right. weaker. It's like it just shows up later. Yeah. And so if somebody reaches age 25, let's say, and they, they've they been in REDS and they haven't maxed out their bone density, can they reverse it thereafter? Great question. This is still sort of an area of research, but it does seem that up until about the age of 30, probably there is a there is a possibility to catch up a little bit. Okay. You may not get all the way back to where the max bone health could have been, mm-hmm. but you can certainly make gains. And so that's why we really try to capture these athletes in their younger years, their mm-hmm. teens and their early 20s, because we know that if we reverse that energy deficiency, it can have a, a reversible effect on bone health. Oh, that's- Okay, so there's hope. Like, so for all the moms listening who have daughters, <laughs> let's make sure they are not in reds. But what about for the moms that are 40 plus that maybe have some osteopenia? They know they've got that low bone density. I mean, what about them? What can they do? So the first thing certainly is going to be to maximize calcium and vitamin D. We know that calcium and vitamin D are really important for bone health, and so we want to make sure that. Uh, such individuals are getting as much vitamin D as they need. Generally, Mm -hmm. we target a vitamin D level of around 40 to 50, particularly in a more athletic population. Mm -hmm. Um, And then calcium. Calcium is a biggie. Ideally, getting sufficient calcium through the diet. And again, depending on your age range, that's going to be somewhere between 1,000 and 1,300 Mm -hmm. milligrams a day. Which is like what? It's like, well, if you drink milk, it's like four glasses of milk. Yeah. Which is a lot for some people. And so I think recognizing just how much you need kind of puts things in perspective. Because I believe that a lot of people really aren't getting the amount of calcium that they should. No, I would agree with that. Absolutely. And then the vitamin D thing, I'm glad you said the ranges because, like, I just had someone's lab work come up yesterday and she was marked as sufficient. She's an athlete. She was marked as sufficient, but her levels were 20. And because technically on the lab sheet, it says like within normal range is 20 to 100. Right. But we know it's like, no, we got to be closer to 40, 50. So um, at that point, I mean, do you usually recommend uh, supplements or food? What do you tend to gravitate towards? For vitamin D, for me, you know, historically we got a lot of that from the sun and now people should be wearing their sunscreen right. to protect the skin. <laughs> There's and always so, something. <laughs> and so, you know, now it's really better to get that through the diet or through supplementation. I think unlike calcium, I'd be interested in your perspective, but unlike calcium, I feel like vitamin D supplementation is completely adequate. I, I don't worry as much about people getting their vitamin D through their diet, but the calcium, again, really ideally should come from the diet if we can get it that way. Yeah, I totally agree with that because one the calcium adds um such nutrient dense sources Mm -hmm. right so i totally agree with that and then in terms of vitamin d yeah i i gravitate towards supplementation because usually to get it to budge you have to do quite a bit of supplementation you really do and and you know there's only so many foods that are fortified with vitamin d so sometimes get a little tired of cereal (laughs) (laughs) both my husband and i had low vitamin d he was at like 15 and I was at uh, 19. So both yeah. of us were super low. And you know, we're out in the sun. Right. I I think I eat a great diet. I hope I do. Right. <laughs> and we definitely had to supplement. And it was interesting seeing him, even with supplementation, it took a while sure. to yeah. get it to budge. Yeah, and... it's frequently not immediate. Yeah, yeah. 
and that's this is a whole other topic, but that's the the research coming out of vitamin D and COVID is really interesting. I've heard a little about this. Yeah. I don't know a lot about it, but I've heard a little bit, and it is. It's preventive. So if you have right. adequate vitamin D going in, you tend to have less symptoms, whereas if you don't, if you have inadequate vitamin D, it tends to be worse. Right. It's really interesting. Yeah, I'm excited to see where that goes. I looked at some studies that were using it to treat people in the hospital, mm. and it didn't make any difference. Yeah, it's funny. We were talking about this just collegially one day, and one question I would have, I haven't looked at the research that closely, but one question I would have is whether vitamin D is just more of a marker for yeah. overall health. So are the people that are vitamin D sufficient just a little bit more aware of their overall health taking a little better care of themselves and so they're going in with fewer comorbidities and consequently having fewer effects from the virus totally but i don't yeah no totally i would absolutely agree with that yeah it'll be interesting to see what they find out yeah okay so um, the bottom line is vitamin d right (laughs) get your vitamin d (laughs) from the sun and get it checked (laughs) so that you know if you need to supplement Okay, so what do you notice about athletes who recover from reds and begin adequately meeting their nutritional needs? Yeah, great question also. You have a lot of good questions today. Uh, that, but that's a really good one. I, you know, I think, and, and I try to counsel my athletes about this as well, that, you know, some of the effects I think can be appreciated immediately. Some of the effects in terms of performance when it comes to athletics, uh, overall energy, and just concentration throughout the day, some of the effects in terms of mood. Again, some of these things seem to be a little bit more immediate, but some of the effects take time. Uh, Certainly return of uh, menses in in women who have stopped having periods can take up to a year uh, or even more in some cases. And the reversibility of the bone health, again, that's even longer. Sometimes we're we're dealing with years um, to really try to get that back and rebuild that bone. Uh, so uh, some of the effects are more immediate, but some of them are definitely longer term. And that's part of the challenge in treating reds, I think, is like, okay, you can't feel it for one, yep. but it's got all these, this myriad of complications. And then two, it, when we start to do it, you don't feel immediate results. Right. Like it takes a while. It so does. yeah, I think it adds to the challenges, but it's like when we think of long-term health, Staying out of reds is something that's going to keep athletes as athletes into their 40s, into their 50s, into their 60s. Absolutely. And even in the shorter term, keeping them competing throughout a season, Yeah. right? Hopefully preventing injuries within a season. But I agree with you. It's absolutely critical for the longevity and being able to continue sport throughout one's lifetime. Well, and that even there, I guess, answers the question in terms of like, how long does it take? It's like, yeah, you're right. You could see results within just that season because athletes can finish the season. Because I know we, you know, we work with a lot of runners and like stress fractures are a high risk for yeah. runners. And yeah. you can lose a race real quick when you have a stress fracture and all of a sudden you're out. Absolutely. There are some studies that have looked in the kind of higher level collegiate population, but really this applies quite honestly for runners of all levels where uh bone stress injury or stress fracture incidence is as high as 25% in a year. So you think about losing one in four of your team members to a bone stress injury, that's significant. And if we can reverse that by making sure that people are maintaining that energy balance, I think that's huge. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of people. Yeah. So Becca, if somebody comes in your office and 
you flag them for reds. What, what are some of the things that trigger that red flag? And then what do you typically talk to them about? Yeah, that's a great question. So we mentioned already feeling fatigued or having decreased performance with training and competition as being possibly an indicator that can, can be a little bit of a red flag for me, as well as loss or change in menstrual cycle. And then, of course, uh, bone stress injuries, the history of bone stress injuries. These are all things that sort of trigger me to think about further evaluation. But then in addition to that, you know, this may prompt us to get some additional information, either vital signs, uh, Mm -hmm. looking at body weight, body mass index, looking at heart rate and uh, blood pressure can sometimes be indicators as well. And then getting some lab information and looking and seeing, is there some change that we can appreciate in terms of hormonal status when it comes to the thyroid, when it comes to reproductive hormones, when it comes to electrolyte balance, And if we're seeing some of these things, then frequently, you know, my next step is to refer to you. Yep. (laughs) Yep. How can you send them to me? Yeah. So when you send them to me, um, the dietitians really look at what they're eating in detail. So we're going to do a detailed dietary assessment on caloric intake and then compare that to how much they're expending in their sport or their activity. So you know, for the college athletes, it's whatever sport they're participating in. For the, the average gym goer, it's like, you know, how much are you spend, expending on the treadmill or whatever it is. Um, and we're going to compare those two numbers and then look at it relative to their lean body mass or metabolically active tissue. And this is going to give us a number. So there's some magic numbers out there. Mm-hmm. We know that below 35 calories per kilogram of lean body mass people are at risk for all of the things you've talked about. And then we know optimal performance and just optimal health is at 45 calories per kilogram of lean body mass, which, so I'll give you an example though. I just worked with um, a gal a couple weeks ago. Um, She's maybe working out for like an hour a day. So she's eating 1800 calories. So we did an assessment on her. Yeah, she's at 12. She's at 12 calories per kilogram of lean body mass. I'm like, no wonder you feel crappy. <laughs> right. And that's the thing that you alluded to before. Most people don't realize. And mm-hmm. that's where your assessment can be so valuable because it's on a level of detail that is much greater than we're really able to get into in our kind of medical clinics mm-hmm. here. And so it's so great to be able to get really down to those numbers. I think it helps put things in perspective. Well, I think it helps for the athlete because Absolutely. this one in particular, she... You know, she thought 1,800 was a lot. Yeah. You know, she goes, well, no, I'm, you know, getting a little bit older. My metabolism's slowing right. down. But I, when I laid it out like that and said, look, you're at 12, below 35 is yeah. the marker. Yeah, her yeah. eyes were wide. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> like, no, absolutely. Oh, yeah. So, so, yeah. And just like you said, we really often in these athletes try to target closer to 40 to 45, below mm-hmm. 35 being abnormal. But we really kind of want to push that so that there's a little bit of a, a mm-hmm. buffer there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're inching her towards that now because obviously yeah. we're not going to like jump to the 3,500 calories, yeah. but we're inching there. And she does feel better already. I, I mean, believe it. Like I believe it. We're doing like 350 to 500 calorie jumps and she's like, oh, I'm running faster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah it can make a huge difference oh, in performance yeah. for, you know, in, a, in an immediate sense for sure. It's one of those things though. They're told all their lives, most women, right. don't eat too much, Right. you know, and it's, so it's like we're more worried about not or about eating too much, and then all of a sudden we're in the hole right. and don't even well, know. Well, when it. I was in medical school, I was running marathons quite mm-hmm. a bit, and this speaks to kind of the the education or lack of surrounding this topic, and why I think it's so valuable that you're doing this podcast. So when I was in medical school, we were asked to keep a food log, mm-hmm. and 
based on some sort of calculation, I don't remember what it was, but it was giving us kind of what our caloric intake a day should be. And, and mine was coming out at 1200. Oh, wow. 1200 calories a day. And I was running marathons. Of course I was eating quite a bit more, but I had, there was a certain guilt around the amount of calories I was taking in versus whatever number this was that I was supposed to be getting. Right. And writing it down in a food log and feeling like I was overeating essentially right, right. when in fact I was eating probably an appropriate amount maybe even not quite where I should have been yeah, yeah. what a cool like experience to to walk through it was eye-opening yeah <laughs> for I bet. sure well, so what'd you do afterwards well I just kept eating yeah like good though <laughs> so in hindsight I wish I had gone back to whoever kind of set up this yeah assignment for the students and had clarified that perhaps they needed to take a little more into account engaging what a person's basal metabolic rate right. was and how much you know how much their daily calorie intake should be because I think it was very misguiding yeah oh yeah absolutely that's not uncommon at yeah. all right I mean so many people get that misguided information and then end up really harming themselves yeah, unintentionally unintentionally yeah. yeah and I think when reds originally came out it was something that you know I started talking about and I was talking about it in a lot of professional settings and even in the professional sense, most my response was like, yeah, but that's an eating disorder world. Or that's if yeah. people have an eating disorder. And I think people can just get in there without even realizing it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, th- I would say that the vast majority don't don't realize and don't intend to get to the energy deficiency point. Oh, totally. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, we, ne- we need a lot more than we think we do. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, though, because you spoke about how you generate your calculations and get an idea for mm-hmm. a person's overall energy balance, mm-hmm. if you will. With technology and things now and people having access to these different mechanisms to monitor their activity, do you use that a lot uh, when you do your calculations? Yeah, so I'm a number junkie. (laughs) So I like to look at a lot of different numbers and compare just to see. Um, Yeah, so I will have them pull numbers from their smartwatch or whatever it is they're using. Um, I'll use a Met calculator just to compare and see what I come up with. And we'll get a general average. Um, so that's what I'll do from the activity end. And then in terms of the, the food end and doing an assessment on that, yeah, we just use the, you know, my fitness pal. I have sure. them log on my fitness pal and sure. I'll look up the calories on there um, and compare it that way. Yeah. That's very cool. Oh, it's fun. I, yeah, I go into like total nerd mode with that stuff <laughs> <laughs> with my spreadsheets and my glasses. Yeah. Yeah. I like that stuff. Cause I think it gives real tangible information for people Agreed. that, Otherwise, they're just kind of lost in this, like, well, I, I don't feel hungry or I don't feel, I feel like I'm eating too much versus like, no, this is what your output is and this is what right. your input is. I just think that's helpful for people. Yeah. Okay. So what is something you wish every athlete that walked in your door knew about nutrition? Well, I think what we were just talking about, honestly, I, I think I wish that, that people recognized what their actual needs were for nutrition. Mm -hmm. Um, So in terms of overall energy balance and then, you know, also thinking about some of the micronutrients and how those are important, like we talked about before, Mm -hmm. how they play into bone health and and things of that nature. So I think if I had to pick one thing, it would be a more general understanding of need, number one, nutritional need and what the target should be for that given individual. And then number two, the downstream effects or the risks mm-hmm. if they're not meeting that mm-hmm. need. Yeah, the, the consequences, yeah. like the nutritional insufficiency consequences. Yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> I used to give a talk on that. And I don't know, when you took driver's ed, did they have the like terrifying videos? Did they I ever have these? They did, but that's clever. Yeah. <laughs> it probably makes you drive better. They did. We called them the red asphalt videos because oh, wow. they were horrifying videos with like blood on the asphalt always. And so when I used to give these talks about nutrition, they used to call me the red asphalt dietitian because I always go in and say like, here's all the really bad things that can happen. But yeah, I care about eating, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, it's very important. important. <laughs> it's very important. Okay, well, I am so, so grateful you joined me today, Becca. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This was wonderful. Now, if people are in New Mexico and listening to this and they are one of those athletes, like I say, they work out on purpose and they want to um, connect with you, what's the best way that they can connect with you? Yeah, so I have several clinics around the University of New Mexico uh, hospital campus. And so probably the easiest way is to just uh, look us up uh, on the UNM Hospitals and Clinics website. Awesome, awesome. Okay, and I'll make sure I link um, that in the show notes so that if they want to find you there, they can. That'd be great, yep. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope today strengthened your food journey and empowered you to live boldly in your body. Real quick, sister, before you go, if you're interested in working with me virtually, please shoot me an email at jessbrownrd at gmail.com so I can send over my coaching menu. And if you like today's episode, please take a minute to head on over to iTunes, Fuel Her Awesome Podcast, to leave a review and subscribe. Ladies, can you imagine how much better our world would be if women everywhere were free from diet culture and misguided nutrition advice and had the ability to step into their full potential? Wow. If you have a girlfriend in mind that you know is amazing, but she's held back by food, body, or diet culture hangups, please join the mission and share this episode on your social media or with your friends. Don't forget to tag me at JessBrownRD. I cannot wait to chat with you babes next time. Until then, cheers and happy eating.